0: Amen. Uh, If you're new to Northlands, again, a welcome to you. My name is Tyler, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Zach, he he was obviously serving this morning and sharing about service. Service for us is not just something we do here at Northlands, it's a part of our identity, it's who we are. Because the very one that we serve said, I didn't just come to to, uh, save the world, I came to serve others. I didn't come to be served, but to give my life away. And that you and I, we were bought with a price by that man. By that Savior. And so for us, we are constantly encouraging you what does it look like to bring your strength to a community like this and to the city around us? And so we are inviting you into the space over the next two weeks to talk about how do I worship, not just in my time and in my finances, but in the gifts that God has given me, how can I give them to the world around me? Because that's what He's called us. To do in a practical way that we do that is we we call people to serve here at Northlands and I, I wanted just to say our middle schoolers right now they are it's serve Sunday for them so it's very fitting as we talk about grace teams today that our middle schoolers are out and about serving and we're putting this discipleship practice not just in theory but in work around the church here uh, I want to as we as we dive in today I just want to share a, a quick word on generosity one of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me on is that the the ends do not justify the means when it comes to our Christian faith, that we can't just be given over and saying the things that we are doing are good, therefore we are justified in the way that we act. No, God is very serious about not just the work that we put our hands to, but the heart that we have as we work. And I just wanted to read this verse uh, briefly. It's for, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, and it says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, a work that we're called to to sow bountifully. But then listen to this, each one of us must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver." It is our heart's cry to step into mission, to serve our community, to serve one another in this body, but it's not just in doing good works, but it's the heart that we carry. Let none of us say that we gave our our resources, our time, our our gifts, our finances under compulsion or under pressure, but that we gave cheerfully to the Lord because that was the desire of our heart. I just, I feel this call as I offer an opportunity for you to give to this community that will then give to the city around us and to the nations. Before you give, ask yourself, Lord, would you also work in me a pure heart of devotion to you, a pure heart of love for my neighbor? that I would truly understand, not just reading it in words in scripture, but what does it mean to love my enemy? Because God's not just interested in what we can give, but also how what we give produces a work in our hearts. And so I just wanna encourage with that. Uh, If you'd like to give to uh, Northlands, there's many ways for you to do that. You can write a check or give cash at the boxes at the exits, or you can just give online. But with that, I'm gonna jump in to today's message. Again, if it's your very first Sunday or if you're fairly new to Northlands, again, a welcome to you. We'd love to meet you out in the front lobby after the service. I'll be with some of the team there at the New Here station. would love to hear more of your story and what brings you through our doors. But if you are familiar with Northlands, it's January, and you know what January means. January is our time for grace teams. Yeah. If you're new, you're like, what in the world is a grace team? A grace team are the service teams here in our community at Northlands. So any team from the production guys holding cameras to our worship team to uh, Armando hosting or the coffee team or the ushering team, the greeting team, those who are serving in kids ministry, these are all our grace teams. And I wanna highlight a verse. If you're wondering why do we call them grace teams, it's this verse right here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Listen to what it says. It says this, each of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love how this small sentence captures so much. It, it, each of you, not some of you who have something to bring, it implies each of you, every single one of us, has something to bring. It doesn't assume if you read it, it doesn't say, uh, if some of you have a gift, would you bring that forward? It says each of you use whatever gift you have. It assumes you have a gift, why? Because God does not do anything on accident. He is not the Bob Ross painting happy mistake trees. He is, if you are here, you were purposefully made, and with that purpose, he gave you gifts as the tools necessary to do what he's called you to do. So you have a gift. But then did you see how he called us to use the gift? He said, use that gift in service to others. If God is measuring you on your gifts, he says, that's how you faithfully steward the gift. What's faithful stewardship look like? You giving your strength away for another person. He goes, do that in all the various forms and graces that God has put on your life. Would you bring those various gifts in their many types to the table so that others might benefit? That's why we call them grace teams here at Northlands. I wanna, as we're diving in today, I wanna talk about what we're trying to accomplish with these teams. Why is it so important if you're a member here that we call you every year to sign up on a grace team? There is something that we're trying to accomplish in you signing up and in you being on a team. Uh, When we talk about this, we take two weeks out of January to talk about service teams. And normally they sit around these three ideas. The first one is around discovery. It's this idea of, would you find your grace? Would you find the thing that God has put in your life? If, you've, if you're brand new to walking with Jesus, you have to know this, you have a gift. And we use grace teams to surface, uh, surface those gifts. We want you to experiment. We want you to sign up for as many teams as you possibly can. When I, when I came in 2010, I had some idea of the gifts, but I just started signing up for teams because I wasn't sure where my grace was. And in serving on teams, I found out things that I was very good at, and I found out things that I was not very good at. <laughs> A nice way to say it. We call it grace flowing in the right directions. There were some moments where people had to be gracious to me and go, oh, Tyler's trying. And there's moments where you go, hey, Tyler, that's really good. You should, you should stick with that. Notice that I'm never on the worship team. That's, that's uh, They say, hey, voice." Of an angel, not so much. Keep going. We use teams to discover. We, my, my mom likes my voice. It's fine. Uh, voice of an angel. Yeah, voice of an angel. We use we use grace teams to help you discover your grace. But can I also say that that discovery works in both directions? I wanna see our members serving on the team because I wanna discover the gifts that are in you. It helps us as a leadership team to watch and see you flowing in your graces. It's the place that we can affirm and encourage the call of God on your life. You see this relationship with Paul and Timothy. He calls out continually to Timothy, hey, fan into flame that gift, Timothy, which means Timothy was serving and using his gift and Paul was able to see it and go, hey, that's you. That's who God's made you to be. And so as a leadership team, we use grace teams to help discover your gifts as well as to, for, us to discover who is among us and how we can affirm those gifts in you as they grow. The second thing that we want to talk about when we talk about grace teams and what we're trying to accomplish is really this deploying. We want to deploy you into the proper space that you're called to be in. It's around formation. Uh, Paul will bring this out in just a little while, but Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, he, he describes the body of Christ as many members bringing their strength, but he speaks also about the formation. He's saying it's not that we're all called to be a foot or an ear or an eye or a hand, that every member must not just bring their strength, but their strength must be in its proper space. We want you to help you find your space in this community. We don't want a foot up where the ear should be and we don't want an eye and the kneecap. We want everybody in their proper space. And so we wanna put you in those spaces. The third thing though, and this is what I think I'm gonna, I wanna highlight most today, is we wanna talk about depth. When we talk about this, we want you to grow in your giftedness. But can I just say something that I've observed as I've served on various grace teams and have been serving over the years and watched other men and women do the same. It doesn't just develop us in our giftedness. It also grows us in our spiritual maturity. That it's not just that we get good at our strengths, but something in us increases. We become spiritually strong. And for me, I wanna highlight that third one today. I wanna talk about depth and specifically not growing in giftedness, but specifically what does it look like to grow spiritually mature? As leaders, we're using grace teams and not using them in a way that we're using people to get things done around the church. That's not our heart. I love how Craig Rochelle says, he's a pastor I follow. He says, we don't use people to get tasks done but rather we use tasks to develop and equip and mature our people. We're commissioned as pastors and leaders. If you're leading in a local church context, you have a responsibility to, yes, equip people in their gifts. Yes, help them find their space in the body of Christ, but also that they might grow mature in their expression of that gift and ministry. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, chapter four, verse 11 to 13 breaks this down for us beautifully. It says this, so Christ himself, the head of the body, the architect of the church, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, for what reason did he give leaders to the local church? To equip his people for works of service. Why is he wanting to equip people for works of service? So that the body of Christ may be built up. The church is not built up by programs. The church is built up by people who give their lives over in service to one another. Until, for this reason, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And then this sentence kind of arrested me. It's what I'm hanging my hat on for our morning. It says, and become mature. And then it says the standard of maturity. It says attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, where do we go from there? I go, if you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years, you might go, hey, I'm getting pretty good at this thing called Christian faith. But if you've been, if you've been walking with the Lord for maybe 40 seconds or maybe 40 days, you're going, so, so Tyler, the goal is simple, just be like Jesus, just be Jesus. That's the measure and the standard. I can't remember which pastor said it, but I'm a guy who likes to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody gets one. Uh, I wanna just talk about not the highest standard of maturity, I wanna talk today about what is the first step to becoming mature? There are signs of spiritual maturity. I think about verses or, or passages of scripture like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. It speaks about the qualifications of elders in the church and the qualifications of deacons in the church. And it speaks about high qualifications that, that speak to a, a level of wholeness, like a high standard. It says things like that, that elders or overseers, that they should be above reproach. They should be faithful to their wife. They should not be given over to anger or their temper. They should have self-control. They should not be lovers of money. They should not be, or they should be they should be hospitable. It describes, hey, if you're to be spiritually mature, this is what it looks like, like Jesus, and to have these qualifications. And, and if you're here today and you're like, well, that's a bit overwhelming, I, I want to just begin not just with the first step, but the basic foundation of what it means to be a Jesus follower. If you wanna begin the journey of becoming a spiritually mature, a whole person, let me tell you the good news. It's not in an amount of time you spend with Jesus and it's not in a practice that you have and it's not because you're super gifted in a hundred different ways and you're incredibly prophetic and accurate or or you have leadership and charisma. It doesn't require any of those themes of time or practice. What it requires, the very first step to maturity is not those things, but simply... A decision, and it's a decision that every single one of us here, whether you've been walking with the Lord for forty years or forty seconds, you can make that decision today. And it's what I want to drive us to. I was—I've uh, told this story before, but it just—it it helps me uh, break down this decision I want us to make today. My friend Brandon, in his upbringing, his mom tells this story that when they were younger, uh, she would put Brandon and his uh, younger sister, Amanda, on the inside of the sidewalk so that as they walked uh, up the sidewalk, that the traffic would be uh, on the outside, their mom would be in the middle and the kids would be on the inside. And she says, I don't know what I was thinking as if like a car, if it clipped the curb, that it was gonna somehow stop me and, um, for, or prevent the kids from getting hit by a car. I think we would all have gotten hit. But she says something in me was just to say, if there was going to be a trauma like that, I was gonna be the first one to take on the hit. And what was interesting to me, she said this, told the story that she said, this was the story of when I found and discovered Brandon was becoming a man. Brandon was becoming mature. He started the journey. And she didn't say it was when he started shaving or when he went through puberty or when he was turned 18 or 21, or when he got married or started having kids or buying his first house or advancing in his career, all these adulting things. She goes, I realized Brandon was becoming a man when one day we're walking on the sidewalk and there's traffic and all of a sudden out of nowhere, Brandon, maybe 13, 15 years old, just takes me gently by the forearm and brings me to the inside of the sidewalk. And Brandon from that day on was the guy on the outside. She said, that's when I realized. And do you see what happened to Brandon? Brandon made a decision of maturity. It wasn't that he was a man on that day, it wasn't that he had it all together he didn't have plenty of things to learn. It was that something shifted in his mind. And I believe there is a decision, a shift that we can all make. And if we make that together, it would make a profound impact in this body and in our community. Paul says it this way, and we'll read it in its full context in a, little bit, uh, a little bit later, but 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 11, he says this, "'When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Did you see the decision? I put, I put childhood behind me. It's easy to understand what does it mean to talk and reason like a child. Have you noticed, I have a seven-year-old daughter and I have a one-year-old. Have you noticed the natural gift that they have of mine? (laughs) It's as if they wake up and all they're thinking about are their needs. Is that not all the parents are like getting real quiet? I'm speaking about your kids, it's fine. No, they're not here, they're in the classroom, it's fine. That children have a natural tendency to think about what's best for me. What's my purpose? What's going on with me today? What makes me most comfortable? But a decision was made in my friend Brandon, and it's the same decision that I believe is the journey of becoming spiritually mature. It's not growing in your giftedness. It's not finding your, your seat on the bus as another piece of language we use. It's this focus on otherness. That maturity begins with the decision to give your life in service to others. It doesn't help that you have incredible gifts and it doesn't help that you do good things in the world if you don't get this very basic. It's as if the the room to spiritual maturity has a doorway and this is how you step forward. And if you go around the doorway and try and break in through the window, you might be in a place where people might see signs of spiritual maturity, but if this isn't in your heart, you miss it. You miss the whole thing. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. Jesus, the greatest among us, when he he realized, had the revelation before he went to the cross, oh, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Everything is under my will and my rule. And his response to that revelation was, picking up a servant's towel, going to the lowest of his team, in the lowliest position, doing the lowest form of service. And he goes, if this is what the master does, how much more so should we operate in this mindset? When we talk about grace teams, we oftentimes talk about bring your strength, bring the thing that God has put in you. And there's a time and place to bring your gift and to bring your strength and to find the space that gives you shiny eyes and fulfillment. But can I also say, and I would just argue, it's the season that we find ourselves in as a church as we are growing at a phenomenal rate. (laughs) Can I just tell you the first step that we do before we talk about how does my grace gift develop and how does my space of fulfillment happen? May I bring some people in to the inside of the sidewalk and say, I want you to benefit first before me, otherness. Romans chapter 12, listen to the language that Paul uses as he describes the body operating together. He says this, once again, the head, so, in Christ, we, though many, form one body. I love this statement. Each member belongs to all the others. Who you are and your gifts are there to benefit my well being, and my gifts are there to benefit your well being. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourself, bring him to the inside of the sidewalk. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I wanna pause because I like doting on the people that I love. If there's one thing we have in spade here is people who have a gift of hospitality. I wanna encourage you as a leader here to affirm, if that is your gift, open up the space that the Lord has given you, whether it's your home or your heart or the space, and keep working that gift. Because in this season, that is a vital tool for us to have, to make people feel welcome, to bring people into community, to take those who are on the fringe of society and to bring them into a healthy home. Work the gift of hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. As Greg would say, this is for free. It feels good when you just say you just say this is for free. You're just like there's a rabbit, I'm going for it. We live in a culture where power and influence are high commodities and currencies and value. So it makes no sense whatsoever to associate with low positions and people in low positions who can't give you anything. And yet the scriptures call Christians to be a peculiar people. We don't look at people and what they can give us. We look at what we can give to people. We associate with the low positions because we're not motivated by what we can get from people. We're motivated by a love of Christ because he died for those people. This is who we're called to be. That's for free. It's cost you nothing. That's just as Greg would say. That's not in my sermon. I'll just write that in. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then just to highlight it, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. We're not gonna go there today. It just reemphasizes everything we just read in Romans and puts more context to it. So please go back and read it. But it speaks of members of the body belonging to one another and that every member from the highest of us to the lowest of us, every member is deeply needed. It is our heart and our ambition that we equip you for everything that God has called you to. And the first part of the journey is not what you bring to the table, but the heart that you possess, just like we talked about it in our offering time. Not just what we can do, but who we are is so important. And Paul, I just wanna read 1 Corinthians 13, not because anybody's getting married right now, but because it's just good to highlight in light of where we are. If you you know, you know. You hear this at all the weddings. But, but listen to this carefully. Let, let it wash over you anew. Let, just please hear this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing." If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Your giftedness will one day pass away. It's not lost on me that one of the gifts God's given me is to teach. And yet one day when we get to heaven, Tyler's teaching gift doesn't matter anymore because we don't need it, because we'll be in the presence of the great teacher, the great rabbi, My gifts, your gifts will one day pass away. So if we spend our time in our life developing giftedness, but we don't develop a heart of love and compassion for our neighbors and our enemies, we are like a clanging symbol and it means nothing because those things will pass away. But otherness, service, love, that is eternal. It is worth investing our time today in because it will still resonate into eternity. What is this kind of otherness? Paul describes it. This is the part we hear at the weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I love this one. I think we need it in twenty twenty-four. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Those gifts are going away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when when completeness comes, when we reach unity in the faith and we are operating in the high standard of spiritual maturity, that is Christ. What is in part will disappear. Then we bring that verse back in. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put away the childish ways behind me. As I was preparing for this, this is completely once again for free. And I just, I just kind of feel it in my, my guts because be, I think it'll be helpful. If you're a young man between 18 and graduating college, Right now, the culture and society has an idea of what a man should be. What a man is by biblical standard is somebody that society can rely on. We have in our culture, weak men, and they are a burden to society. They're being propped up by our culture. And we have in our society, domineering men. Society is threatened by them because they prey on the weak and they objectify others. That is not what a real man is either. It's not in smoking cigars or drinking bourbon, and it's not in being so weak, uh, meek, weak, and mild that you never say anything or stand up for conviction. Real men, by a biblical standard, is that you're the kind of person that when you walk into the room, society celebrates because they're at rest and at peace because they know they will not be taken advantage of. We need more men in our society that can be a solution to the pains and problems not uh, provoking problems, not inflicting pain, but offering solution. If, if we're talking about making a decision today, young men, make a decision to be that kind of man because that's the kind of man that will honestly be worth leading in the future. Amen? Yeah. The free stuff today. The free stuff is working. That's phenomenal. Who ever knew? This is, this is it. So, <laughs> it was interesting. I was thinking about this idea that decision without action is no decision at all. At the very definition, and you can put it up if you, if you got it on the slides, decision by its definition is the action or process of resolving a question. I feel like there's a singular decision that we have to make today when it comes to signing up for grace teams. And it's this idea of otherness. Where am I needed to bring other members who need reprieve, that need refreshing, that need help, that need support, to bring them to the inside of the sidewalk and say, hey, I've got your back, I'm watching over you. That we're not just a body who brings our giftedness and our strength to produce, but we're also the body that will respond where there are needs and that we can meet those needs. And so I wanna just ask a singular question today, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple question, it's, it's this. If you could just ask and make the decision for others, Tyler, where do you need me? Tyler, where do you need me? In light of what's happening at Northlands as we're growing at a rapid rate, not just where am I best to serve on, but what teams need me the most right now? Who's in need of additional support and help? And I'm gonna do something that is an incredible no-no for a public speaking. In fact, my wife absolutely hates it. When she gives me feedback on today's message, she'll say, everything was good except for this one part where you intentionally made it awkward. And that is where the speaker goes, I want a response from you, the repeat after me moment. It's this idea of like, hey, would everybody repeat after me and ask the question, Tyler, where do you need me? And I'm gonna count to the count of three, and I want us all to say it in unity. And I'll do that other thing that's super awkward, where if the response isn't exactly to the level that I think is appropriate, I'll go, no, we'll do it again. My wife is just like slouching down in her chair. She's like, every introvert in the room is like, I hate you, Tyler, this is, un- this is unacceptable. If you're a guest in the house, you don't even have to ask. This is a question that I want our members to ask. On the count of three, I want you to ask, Tyler, where do you need me? I'd love to help and support the body. Can we just do that? What? Yeah, I was like, we're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three. I that was, I, we don't have to do it a second time. That was perfect. That was so good. Um, I got to be honest. I, I'm just glad that you'd ask such a question, not under duress <laughs> or pressure or manipulation. I hate to feel manipulated when I'm in your seat and listening to somebody. I'm just glad that you would ask such a question, just out of the kindness of your heart. And the maturity that you possess. And I gotta be honest, I'm taken back by the question. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I'm not prepared. I'll need to get back to you. I wish I had a list of where I could use you the most. Actually, no, I do have a list. I made a list. (laughs) List of most pressing needs in this season. This is how I start all my diary entries. It's right here. Um, We are in a season... One of the best seasons, I've been, I've been a part of the church since 2010 and we are in this phenomenal season where this problem keeps getting created and it requires us to knock down walls, to commandeer rooms and other spaces. And that is we have an anointing to make babies and children here at Northlands at the moment. How about that? They will know us by our love and we're loving well. Uh, some of you caught it, some of you were five it's fine. We looked at the numbers from last year, and there's this shift that's happened in our community. In 2023, the largest demographic here at Northlands are 20 to 30-year-olds. Do you know the next largest demographic at Northlands? One to (laughs) 10-year-olds our kids. Uh, And then on top of that, then it goes from 30 to 40s, 50 to 60, and 60-plus. The Lord has been speaking to us. We met as an eldership team earlier uh, in in the month, The Lord is speaking to us about resourcing deeply our family ministry here at Northlands because we need it, because our kids are the next generation and we're going after their hearts. I am going hard after the 414 window of members here at Northlands because they need our investment now more than ever and so I want to bring up two teams Northlands Espanol the kids ministry we need eight to ten of us uh, from 115 to 245 on Sundays to serve in Espanol can I just say that Espanol's attendance last year at the beginning of the year was around 23 or so in attendance it's now crossed over 50 and climbing we went yeah are you at, Amanda? let's go They went from having three young kids in their ministry to now 13 kids in their ministry from high elementary to toddlers, and they're needing help. But specifically, right now, Alba, Armando's wife, who's co-leading the community with Armando, she is preaching regularly and she's also doing translation. But because they're needing support, she is constantly being pulled from translating and teaching the parents to have to also serve their kids in kids' ministry because they need more help. I wanna take the weight off of members of the body who are giving their absolute best. I wanna protect them from burnout. I wanna protect them from fatigue. I wanna bring Alba to the inside of the sidewalk and I wanna say, hey, I've got you in this moment. So I'm gonna ask, we need eight to 10 members in this space. You can see also in kids ministry, in middle school and high school ministry, we need six to eight members in nursery. We had 23 babies, y'all, last Sunday. And then friends of mine, good friends of mine, mind you, throwing kerosene on that fire delivered babies this week like they had more babies stop it already like it's just we're like hanging the babies up on coat racks we just can't like they're just sitting there like it's just there's too many there's too many my meetings with Jorge and Ashley are literally like Jorge's like hey Tyler I think I gotta knock another wall down and hey this room over here that's my room now and so I'm just like take the rooms take the rooms but we are growing and we need six to eight members in nursery, we need five members in preschool, eight to 10 members in elementary, middle school and high school need two to four members, totaling just in first service about 23 to 31 members in these spaces. One of the goals that I have for, for Jorge and Ashley is I want them in the service a little bit more, having enough people here in the system running so that they can be spiritually fed. Right now, the way that that's happening is periodically they can be in the service, but right now, most of their church experience is Monday afternoon on their couch being spiritually fed. Part of resourcing the next generation and our kids is making sure that the people who are pouring into our kids are well-resourced. I want to pour into them here in this space so that they can pour into my kids and your kids in the next space. We need people in these spaces. Find your grace team, absolutely. But in this season, these are the teams that we need to highlight because we are growing and the Lord is emphasizing that. To my grace team leaders, I just wanna just just call on you as well to help us in this. As you look at your teams and your rosters, if you are fully stacked, if you go, hey, you know what, we have enough people and I'm working through stuff, would you encourage some of your team members maybe in this year to help us with growth, to step into these spaces, to leave your team for a season so that they can help where the body has great need? I wanna tell you that the the level of weight that would come off of my shoulders, the teams who are serving in these places' shoulders, Jorge, Ashley, Alba, and Armando, the weight that would be taken off if this need is met would be incredible. It would help us minister more effectively in 2024. We are going to continue to grow more and more and more. And I I wanna close with this, two thoughts, just a statement on health and a dream that I have. What I am learning in this season is that Health, health will attract growth. There are two types of people who wanna be a part of a healthy church. Healthy people, because healthy people wanna be a part of healthy things. And sick people, broken people, those who need help wanna be a part of healthy things because they might've grown up in a toxic environment, but a healthy culture brings refuge and safety and refreshing and reviving. So everybody is hungry for a healthy home. I wanna be able to meet that need and the Great Commission would call us to meet that need. But what I have found is that growth will challenge health every time. You can have a healthy marriage, but if today I knock on your door and I bring five more kids for you to take in and take care of, they're now your kids, that's going to challenge the health of your household. It's good growth, but everything has to change. Your systems of operation have to change. Your budget has to change. You have to get a bigger car, a bigger van, because now you're parenting, not just maybe one kid or two kids, but maybe maybe five to seven kids. That changes. The growth is good, but you must take in that growth and then once again, operate at another level of health. We have a healthy church here, but we're growing at a rapid rate. I wanna meet that growth with that amount of health. And in order to do that, we have to protect our members from fatigue and burnout. We are growing at a rapid rate and I don't want it to stop. I love it. But at the same time, we have to be a body that serves the body. Here's my dream. This is like, you're gonna say, Tyler, way too much. One day, I'd love to knock on our mayor's door, our office. And I'd love to say, Mayor, where do you need Northland's church in our city? I would love for hundreds, thousands of us to enter into our city, into the most broken places where it needs help and be a solution for them, a space that they can rely on us. Here's the 75,000 foot dream. This is like put a helmet on because the elevation's too high. I'd love to be a solution for a nation. I'd love to knock on a president's door and say, where would you like our church is to be deployed? How can we help a nation and bring good to them and to bless them with the gospel of grace and with acts of love and service. But before we can be a movement of churches that a nation would call on, we have to be a church that our city can call on. And before we can be a church that our city can call on, we have to operate as a body where our members can count on us. I love the season that we find ourselves in. Let us watch over one another. Let us bring each other on the inside of the sidewalk and say, if somebody has to hurt, if somebody has to sacrifice, let it be me first before my brothers and sisters. That we would take a posture, a first step towards spiritual maturity like our savior. That we would wake up and before we think about God, would you awaken in me the purposes you'd call me to? Would our prayer be Lord, would you help me awaken the purposes that you've put in others? This is the kind of people I believe God has called us to be. And I believe he's inviting us into something special. Would you pray with me?